Hey guys, you know what I love about America and the free market enterprise? What I love about business, leadership, it's what I love about entree leadership, and that is that we believe that great success can come from humble beginnings. You guys know this. You know, in our country, it doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. All it takes is passion, drive, and a desire to make a difference. You may say, well, I don't have enough money to get started. I don't have enough education. I don't know the right people. Guys, I'm telling you, those are all just excuses. From the Ramsey Network, this is the Entree Leadership Podcast, where we help business leaders grow themselves, their teams, and their profits. I'm your host, Daniel Tardy, and my guest today is Cordia Harrington. She's the founder and CEO of The Bakery Co's. Today, they've got multiple plants and customers around the world, including McDonald's, O'Charlie's, pretty big deal, but it didn't start out that way. And like a lot of great success stories that start with really humble beginnings, Cordia's is really not that much different. And it all began for her in a small town in Arkansas. I started my first business in Russellville, Arkansas. Do you know where that is? I know Arkansas, oh. but I'm not sure I know Russellville. <laughs> okay, well, it's a town, a beautiful town on a lake about halfway between Little Rock and Fort Smith. And my first business was a real estate company, Concept One Realtors. And foretelling, we used wheat as our emblem on our real estate hmm. signs. Yeah, little did I know. And that began with the good fortune of having bartered for office space from a doctor that had a big empty building and leased my chairs and my desk, $3 a month for the desk and $1.50 a month for the chairs. And I was in the real estate business. Use wow. all $587 to buy plywood signs to put in front of yards, and it grew. And it was so much fun. The ladies that I hired, we were the first off-female business in Arkansas, and the men bankers would literally come by to see what we're doing. Mm. And we would stage houses. That's before we knew what staging was. And we would try to rearrange the furniture in houses so that they showed the best. Mm. And it took off. So you're showcasing the houses to make them look great. That's very common these days. Was, was it uncommon then oh, to totally, be doing Oh, totally. Totally. People thought we were so weird to come oh. into their house and take some pictures down and rearrange the furniture. But we were trying to give them the best opportunity to get their house sold. And, you know, back then, houses there, an 1,800-square-foot house, two-car garage on an acre of land with a lake view. Guess how much it was? I can't even guess. 40,000? Yeah, you were really 50? close. Okay. 37,000. <laughs> and so, you know, and there were lots of properties available and not very many mm. buyers. So it was, it was an interesting business. And the only reason I got out of it, I loved it. I loved working with the families, helping them find a home, bettering mm. their life. But the people that moved to town, the Fourierhan family, bought the local McDonald's. Well, I don't know about you, Daniel, but when I grew up, I didn't know you could own a McDonald's. And when I found out they owned it, I was like, oh, that is cool. They lived on a beautiful lake house. They drove a Mercedes, and they had every weekend with their family. Mm. So for me, I thought, gosh, this would be so great. They didn't like living in Russellville. Mm. They wanted to move. 
I loved living in Russellville. And the weekend, I can imagine in real estate, you weren't necessarily, your weekends with family wasn't a thing and, and you're just grinding all the time. So was it, was it that exactly. you saw the opportunity for flexibility? What was, what, like when you kind of had the dream, I mean, Mercedes is nice, but yeah, what that was the thing the driver. that was like drawing you to that? Exactly. Well, unfortunately, I went through a divorce and my children were one, three, and five when I did that. And having a job that I could be off on the nights and weekends was very much motivating. I was driven to spend more time with my kids. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, the perks looked nice too, but I really wanted quality time with my kids. And and as much as I love real estate, it was just impossible. So many business owners I talk to, really their family is the reason that they get into owning their own business. You know, maybe they work at a corporation and it's 90 hours a week. They never see their family. Even the money can be nice. But I mean, you look up and your kids are little and they start growing and you go, I'm missing out on their lives curious to hear from you how you continue to keep that value as the business grows and scales because there's a little bit of the grass is greener on the other side if i have my own business i'll have the flexibility and the autonomy and it can also be that same dragon that takes you away from your family if you're not careful yeah you're totally right and i have the greatest respect for restaurant owners because when i did buy my first mcdonald's we were unable to stay in russellville that just wasn't the way mcdonald's did things and i was offered the chance to buy the Effingham, Illinois McDonald's. Do you know where that is? I know Effingham. I've I've driven through there once. Okay. Most people (laughs) have driven by. (laughs) Again, a big town of 10,000 people. And we had an interstate McDonald's that I purchased. At the time, I paid a very high price for it. This was 1989. I paid $1,650,000 for it. And I had to figure out how to grow sales in order to make that mm. whopper $27,000 a month payment. Wow. And the only way to do it was to drive more sales. As you know, that's the way it is. But was if you're in a town of 10,000, how do you find more people? Yeah, I, I can imagine. I mean, the supply and demand kicks in in a real way. What Was it an existing store or was this a new store? It was an existing store and the man was retiring. And it was a good store because... It was a, in the middle point. If you're driving from St. Louis to Chicago, great place to stop, get a bite to eat, go to the restroom. Great location. But again, how do you grow the sales? Mm-hmm. And so back at that day in 89, we didn't have cell phones, but we did have CB radios. So we began to have some fun and get on the radio and go, hey, good buddy, if you're driving a bus, stop by and we'll give you a free meal if you bring your bus. Really? I love that. <laughs> And so, so you created. This was the original podcast. You, oh, you went out on the airwaves to the interstate. Right? Yeah, that's right. Before that. <laughs> it, before it was a thing. Oh, that's and, I love the ingenuity in that. And then I thought, well, you know, there's a lot of Greyhound buses going by, so I bought the Greyhound bus franchise, hmm. moved it to my parking lot in order to have the buses, and I had to reconfigure the parking lot for bus parking. But I can't tell you, Daniel. We ended up with, in the summer, 122 buses a day. Mm. We opened round the clock to serve those customers. And if you think I got more quality time with my kids with that, you're, you know, <laughs> it, didn't, it backfired on me. I'll just say that. <laughs> uh, well, we'll dive into how we uh, manage life balance here in a second. But I, I'm just so intrigued and, and fascinated because, you know, Cordia, a lot of business owners, they come into a town with 10,000 people. I think the typical approach would be, okay, we just need to turn up the volume on how we're talking to this 10,000 people. 
But you said, no, we actually have a way of creating more demand in a broader audience. You're bringing in buses, you're talking to people out on the CB radio, and you didn't just see your opportunity as that 10,000. Where did that mindset come from? I think I think survival is a great motivator. <laughs> and all of you that are business owners know what I mean by that survival. Mm. You've got this, oh my gosh, how am I going to solve this problem? How am I going to pay these bills? And so we just have to be open. And I believe God speaks to all of us in strange and wonderful ways. But just truly having fun with one of my managers is what started all this. Getting on the CB radio, she thought I was nuts. You know, hey, good buddy, if you're out there and have a bus, stop by. (laughs) Her name is Bonnie McCain, and she just got so tickled at me. And then it just sort of bubbled from there. Mm. You know, it became a competition. You know, how could we get more buses in, and what could we do to serve them quickly? and get them back out on the road and not disrupt our community business, which was strong. Because at that point in time, McDonald's was the place to work. So I had the cheerleaders and I had the football players Mm. and cute kids that worked for me, you know, average age 17. So when prom came, well, guess who opened the restaurant? It was mom. workforce (laughs) is gone. (laughs) You know, I'm struck by... You as the founder, the leader, the head honcho, when you get on there and and you're on the CB having fun with it and being goofy and not taking yourself too seriously, you're setting the tone for the team. Uh, Sometimes when somebody in the rank and file tries to do that, it, it comes off as cheesy or the wrong way. Talk to business owners about why they need to go first on some of that stuff, because I think that's key. That's a great question. But if you just think about the times that are memorable in your life, it's when you're laughing. Mm. So if you can create a tone that when people come to work, you know, they're working hard, but they're laughing, they're having fun, they're teasing each other, they're giving each other a hard time. You know, that creates an atmosphere and an attitude that everybody wants to be a part of. And you know, there are times that you feel like getting out a whip and going, come on, guys, straighten out. But that's not motivating to people. That makes people cower up and close down. So I think that my motto is sort of make memories. I do that at home, and I do that with my associates, because if you're making memories, if you're having fun, that just opens up the creative juices for people to come up with other ideas that we may not have thought about. Well, you're right. It really is on us to create that environment and the and the memories and the fun and the laughter. It says it's safe here to be a little bit goofy. It's safe to try things and maybe fail. It's safe to throw an idea out there that maybe doesn't stick because we believe that if you are doing that as a team member, if our whole team is doing that all the time, you know, the brilliance is going to show up. It's going to float up to the top, isn't it? Yeah. And I think people love enthusiasm, whether it's that sweet person in the drive through going, have a great day, or whether it's, you know, when you get your sandwich, it's hot, and the person in the grill has got pride about that. We had a lot of contests all the time. I loved games. And when we'd win, which might be breaking a drive through record of the number of cars served, or it could be some other silly thing, I would give high fives. And I'd go around and give them high five. And back then, it would be a $5 bill. Mm. Well, in the bakery, when we started having success and getting great inspections, I'd give them high fives, and it was a 50 And, you know, people were sort of taken aback that they had a $50 bill. But 
in the whole scheme of things, it's just making the magic. I'm sure mm-hmm. they went home and talked about it. Of course. So even more than the money, it's that you won today. You did yes. good today. And yeah. thank you. Thanks for being great. Right. Thanks for giving it your all. Well, I think it's the acknowledgement. I mean, money's nice, but it's the intentionality that, you know, when we do that thing as leaders, um, I, I think the message we're sending to the team is, I see you. I see your effort. It mattered. It's not lost on me that you went the extra mile and, and took care of this customer or whatever the case may be. So That's well said. Okay. So you had a real estate company, then you got a McDonald's, then you got a Greyhound bus company, and it's working. You, you created your own market. Now what? Well, that store became one of the top 40 in sales in the U.S. And I built a second store in Altamont around the corner, uh, 10, 12 miles away, and then one inside of Walmart in Effingham. And they were great stores, and I had awesome employees. And my husband, Tom, at the time was my CPA, and he t- said, you just need to raise your pay a dollar an hour, which was the complete opposite of what everybody was saying. Mm. You know, keep your prices down, watch your PAC, profit after controllables. So I did what he recommended. I raised our starting pay a dollar an hour. We got the most incredible people. And then my goal was to keep them all. Mm. So in the industry, an industry turnover might be 100 to 200%, which is a lot. I had no turnover for five years in my leadership team, Mm. and I had 41% turnover in my staff, which is about 220 people, which those people that left were going to college. So it was intentional turnover, Mm -hmm. you know, for them to better themselves. And that alone, taking care of the people, paying them fairly, keeping them happy, keeping Mm -hmm. them engaged— the customers, they would know the customers. They would know what they like. They would know how to clean properly. It just made my life so easy. Yeah. I was making their life better, but they made my life a lot better. I love it. You know, I mean, the culture of an organization really is the sum total of the character qualities of the people that you bring on board. Who the team is as individuals makes up that culture. It sounds like you built an amazing culture. I don't want to miss this because I have a hunch, and, I, and, and you can verify this for me. Just paying people more doesn't create that. It's a good magnet for recruiting, and I I think it helps with retention and a better quality of life for your team. But you're also creating these moments and laughter. and the. So in addition to the pay, I I don't want leaders to think, okay, if I just pay more, then I should just expect to get the talent and they'll, they'll be happy and, you know, do your job. I pay you a lot of money. I pay you more than the market rate. I don't think that's the mindset you're advocating. Oh, exactly. I mean, I knew everybody's name. We remembered their birthdays. We tried to make every day memorable. But it's scary as an owner when you think about giving 220 people a dollar an hour raise. You know, I resisted it for a long time because I thought we can't afford it. We can't cash flow it. What I didn't realize is how much it would drop to the bottom line by eliminating turnover and by having that Mm. consistency. And I think it's something that small business owners struggle with a lot. I want good people, but I can't afford them. And I'm here to advocate you can't afford not to have them. Mm. You have to figure out, and yes, it might be tough the first couple of months to work through the increase, but it will pay off so much if you just take the leap. Yeah. I love that. So you're expanding at this point. You've got several stores. Yes. And McDonald's was great. They kept giving us awards and we kept excelling and beating the next goal. And um, it was a lot of 
fun, but I never got to a point where I had more time with my children. And I was the only woman in our co-op advertising group, which is we combined resources to advertise for whatever the market sales were going to be. And um, as a joke, the men, uh, Rick McGraw was the chairman. He, as a joke, he put me on the bun committee. And the bun committee was a group of operators from a number of co-ops through a number of states that oversaw the bakery facility in Kansas City, which supplied our buns. So we looked at the pricing protocol. We met Mm -hmm. quarterly. And when I would go to those meetings, I would come back so excited. (laughs) First of all, I never left my restaurants unless I was going to a bun meeting or church. That was about it. And um, to get out and have a job like that and understand sesame seeds in Guatemala and their oil factor and prices of flour in Russia and how it impacted the U.S. And it would be my turn in the co-op meeting to give my bun report, and they would get the hook and go, okay, enough, enough, stop. You know, we've heard all we need to hear. <laughs> but at that point, I learned how big supply chain was mm. from McDonald's and the global impact and the opportunities. And I saw this bakery, and it, and here they were making lots of buns a day, and they'd have 11 people on a shift, and they were highly paid people. And I thought, whoa, Mm -hmm. this is cool. I'd love to own a business where I would have a budget where I could really pay people top dollar to work for me. So I applied to become a supplier. I was one of the first women given an opportunity to be a McDonald's supplier. But that process took over four years, and I had over 30 interviews. They kept telling me no. I don't know why they said no. I mean, just because I didn't have any manufacturing experience? (laughs) You know, wait, just because I didn't know how to bake? What's the problem here? I was going to be the best. I love, you know, I love your confidence. And you strike me as somebody who sees opportunity where other people do not. Anyone that's assigned to the bun committee, I mean, a a typical person may go, I'm on the bun committee. Okay, I'll go out in the field. I'll come back. Here's the metrics. Here's the report, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, just you describing that experience, like your eyes are lighting up, you're Mm -hmm. laughing about it. I I get the sense that you made it fun. It wasn't the nature of the thing. Like you brought the fun and you brought the passion to that opportunity. I mean, it was from the inside out. I can tell you, I got goosebumps. I loved hearing about it. I love learning about it. I felt very lucky. I mean, they did this as a joke. They thought that would be hilarious. And when I opened my first bakery, you know, I called a couple of them and, you know, thanked them for giving the joke. The joke was then. Was there a part of you in that that wanted to prove something to those guys? Well, I was always the voice in the co-op meeting that would raise my hand and have something exciting to share. And there would be sort of blank stares around the room. And then five minutes later, Gary McElfresh or Gary Peck would say exactly what I had said. And they'd go, oh, that's a good idea. And that got old. Mm. So yeah, it was fun to be able to go, I really do have a brain and I really can make a difference. You know, see. Good for you. (laughs) So you get on the supply side. Yes. You see the opportunity there. Yes. Uh, what was that like, the transition from, did you 
hold on to the stores or, or did you just go full bore over on the supply side? The plan was to sell the restaurants and then open the bakery. But we opened the first bakery in Dixon, Tennessee in 1997, April. And if you really look, there we were in a recession then. McDonald's sales were down 38%. At least bun sales were over the past 12 years. And so the volume wasn't enough to even have one shift. We planned to open with one shift 40 hours a week and had 22 to 28 hours a week production. So to say I was losing money is a very mm. nice way to say what the P&L looked like. Scared? I kept the restaurant. Scared at that point? Scared. I, I think I cried myself to sleep every night for a mm. year um, wow. because sales were down. I had this $15 million facility with payments that made 27000 a month look calm. And my restaurants were paid for, and they were very good cash flow engines. However, I was driving... I moved here, and I drove back to Illinois every week to check on the restaurants and starting up the bakeries. So put about 100,000 miles on a car in that year, and it would have been a good year to own an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it sounds like a really difficult year. Yeah, it was tough. It was tough. What kept you going towards the end of that year when you had, you'd been running the marathon, and you're, you're mile 20, and it's hard, and your, your body's breaking down. Nobody's cheering for you, and you're starting to wonder— can I really do this? Well, and honestly, I, I I think the biggest thought that I remember going through my mind is, well, I'm going to watch myself go bankrupt in slow motion mm. <laughs> because I had worked really hard in the restaurants to get them to the point where they were really good businesses. And then I was investing 100% into the new facility, and it was losing more money than I could have made up in a month on the three restaurants a month. So it was a tough time, but... I'm curious what you feel after going through that experience. You know, at Ramsey Solutions, we don't advocate debt for anything, even in business. And knowing what you know now, would you have gone a different route in terms of taking on debt and, and payments? I can tell you that my CPA, my lawyer, all of the people that surrounded me thought I was nuts to take restaurants where I was making a seven-figure income and I was debt-free and to go into debt like I did and put 100% of it, they thought I was nuts mm -hmm. and that I shouldn't do it. Now, I would have, at that point in my life, never dreamed that somebody actually could have $15 million in cash to build a bakery. Mm -hmm. So a little bit naive yeah. at that point, mm -hmm. but I can promise you being debt-free, which I was when I had the restaurants, I knew how that felt, and I knew that's where I needed to get. Mm. And it didn't happen as quickly as I wanted it to happen, but it, it did happen. So eventually the story starts to turn for the better. It does. It does. And I think perseverance, you know, every business, whether it's mine with my customer sales going down or the COVID or whatever another business might be dealing with, we have to persevere through those hard times, and we have to be resourceful. Mm. In my case, I went to speak with McDonald's a number of times, and they were wonderful, but they didn't have more volume to give. Mm. And so I then tried to work on getting customers that would not be 
competition to McDonald's to bring into the bakery and to come up with a pricing protocol. Actually, my husband, Tom, came up with a really cool pricing protocol that gave them favorable benefit for us having other people in the McDonald's plant. And at the time, it was hard for everybody to agree to it. But if you roll forward 10 years, they now ask every one of their mm. suppliers to do the same thing. So it sounds it like was, that was an unprecedented. I mean, did you did you have the latitude in your in your supplier's agreement to even go that path, or did you have to create kind of an, a new arrangement that they you know getting those guys on board? I mean, I think they want exclusivity, right? Yes, so how did you? Yes. What were those conversations like? The first thing I need to tell you is I didn't have a supply agreement. I had a handshake. Okay. But the, it was tough conversations. In one case, one of the men sort of leaned up on his desk and sort of pounded on it. His veins were popping out. And, you know, no was the answer. But it was just I had to keep going back because each month we were losing so much money. And I wasn't going to go bankrupt. And so finally, I came up with a customer. It took about 11 months, Pepperidge Farm, and we rolled out selling Pepperidge Farm buns across the U.S., and that filled the plant up. And then, because the plant is filled and all the fixed costs are being covered, so we were able to lower the price, all of a sudden we looked brilliant then. Mm -hmm. But tough making that decision to ask forgiveness instead of permission tough moving forward. And I think that when we as business owners are in tough spots, we have to use all the resources we've got. We used to use our best thinking mm -hmm. and we have to go with our gut. And my gut told me, you got to fix this problem. McDonald's isn't going to fix it for you. They can't. It's not their problem. We have to fix it. I love that. I mean, it's extreme ownership. It's personal responsibility to the max. And I imagine in making a decision like that, I mean, I, I can relate to the, you know, ask forgiveness instead of permission. If you're not hearing that the right way, it can sound like a lack of respect or compliance. But mm -hmm. you had to go in your gut and say, for me to still exist in a year from now in a way I can serve McDonald's, I have to do this. Exactly. It's in their best interest ultimately, right? It is. And it was. And I wasn't trying to be difficult or not respectful by all means, but... I did feel that I had to take the responsibility on myself. And during COVID right now, this is a perfect example of all of us in business have got to think differently. When five years ago, we put our five-year plan out, not one person on the planet would have expected to have to deal with the worldwide pandemic, not one not. person. So nobody's plan is being executed in the way that they hoped for or the way they planned for or the way they built it for. We all have to take responsibility for our businesses today to think differently and to figure out a different route and a different model than what we planned. And so my example was early on, but this is something we can all relate to because my business today, we're having to deal with, with things differently due to COVID and yours is, I'm sure. Yeah, we all are. So you figured out a way to diversify your your customer base. Yes, you bring on Pepperidge Farms, and and things are are starting to work, and, and cash flow is awesome is coming in now. Yes, okay. So take us from there. This is still in the the late 90s? the late nineties. Okay. Yeah. So ninety nine, we bought 
the bakery that was Rich's Donut Factory on Armory Drive, which is in Nashville. And I bought that literally over the phone with a handshake agreement from him. We had a discussion. Five weeks later, we closed. Eight weeks later, we're selling Pepperidge Farm buns out of there. We used it to begin a packaging facility. And ultimately, a year or two later, McDonald's needed more English muffins. So we presented ourselves for that opportunity, built an English muffin line. Today, that facility is a high-speed English muffin line, one of the most automated in the world, and a high-speed biscuit line. Have you ever had a sausage biscuit from Odom's Tennessee Pride? Okay, we make all of those. And ConAgra, ConAgra has purchased Tennessee Pride and is growing that breakfast brand tremendously. And I've got to brag on my team just for a moment. We just found out this week that we were honored with ConAgra's Supplier of the Year. They have over a 1,000 suppliers, Anheuser-Busch, you name it, Big, big, big companies, and they pick little old us to be their supplier of the year. I'm so proud of the team. I cannot tell you how proud I am I of our team. I can tell you are, and yeah. you, you should be. Okay, so give us an idea of volume. I mean, this this is how many biscuits and buns and English okay. muffins? Okay, on the biscuit line, we make 2,000 biscuits a minute. A minute. A minute, Yeah. It's a hoot. <laughs> I can't even get my head around. <laughs> no, you need to come and see it. <laughs> and then the bun line is a thousand buns a minute. We're trying to make that go a little faster right now. We need a little more capacity. Mm-hmm. And then we have a. Um, in the mid-90s, we worked a deal with O'Charlie's. I'm so proud of. We bought their equipment, and we built a facility in a cold storage warehouse off of 8th Street, and we make all the O'Charlie's rolls. And then some other rolls that you might see, Mason-Dixie biscuits that you, as a gourmet biscuit, sold in most grocery stores. And then five years ago, we purchased a bakery in Atlanta called Masada to get us an artisan line. We we knew we could buy artisan equipment, but we needed people that really understood the touch, smell, feel for dough being put into an artisan mm-hmm. line. So that's our biggest facility, the one in Atlanta. A couple of years ago, as part of a mission project that I was working on, we built a bakery in Guatemala. Wow. Our mission for our business is three things, create opportunities, make a difference, and impact lives. And the bakery in Guatemala was with a partnership with a local McDonald's franchisee that owns all of the restaurants in Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, and one more, Nicaragua. And so um, we went down there and built a building and put in a line and trained them all. And we accomplished our mission in two ways. Number one, we were able to give a lot of really awesome people a job opportunity with benefits, unlike any other they could get Mm -hmm. in the community, which was great. And then secondly, we helped formulate a product where two little cookies a day gives a child 70% of the nutritional value they need in order to be healthy. And malnourishment is the number one problem in Guatemala. So that's been fun. I can't can't help but just kind of pause for a second as I'm hearing this global impact now that you're literally making and and supply chain and equipment and massive amounts of, of just the complexities of the distribution channels and the financial side, the sales side. You're a real estate agent from Russellville, <laughs> Arkansas. With a home ec degree. You're not supposed to be doing this. 
does that narrative in your mind <laughs> ever creep up? Like, I'm not qualified no, no, to do this. No, or, you can't think like that. <laughs> so when we'll you, figure this out. When you don't know the space or the or the technical components of this, I, I have to imagine that one of your skills is bringing smart people around you. That's the key to everybody's success. You know, find the best people you can and hire them and listen to them. Hmm. I met a lot of wonderful people in our, our industry is wonderful, but one of the most interesting ones that I met, I met at a industry luncheon or dinner in Orlando when there was an American Bakery Association gathering. His name is Joe Waters, and he at the time was running the Sara Lee, the 43 Sara Lee bakeries. And a couple of years later, Grupo Binbo, who is now the largest public bakery company in the world, bought Sara Lee. And I called him at the time we were co-packing some products for Sara Lee. They were our customer. And I said, hey, I need to find a president. I, I mean, this thing has outgrown me. I need somebody that really understands because I had great people, but I didn't have all of the wisdom that I needed to make the right equipment decisions and et cetera. So he said, well, how about me? And I said, I know I can't afford you. <laughs> so to make a long story short, he came to town with his wife, and we talked about it. And I couldn't afford him, but I put a salary out there that I could afford. And then I put a carrot out there that if we reached a goal, he would win. And he won big. Mm. And he came in and for seven and a half years ran the business. And then we had another great opportunity come along through an American Bakery Association dinner. You know, you, we got to go to those dinners, folks, because you meet people and things can happen. Mm. And I met an awesome guy named Greg Purcell. Greg owns a company called Arbor in Chicago, and they are a private equity group that focuses on food. And they come into a family business, and they blow it up. And I mean that in a good way. They take the good people, put them in the right spots, bring in additional help, bring in resources to help you grow. Mm -hmm. And sitting at a dinner table, by the end of the dinner, I was sure Greg and I would work together. I felt like he was a brother from a different mother. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> well, you have that chemistry. And, um, you know, I got to tell you, I, I hear your story and I think about everything that you've accomplished without having the you know, quote, formal education that you would think you have to have to, to be qualified to go into this space. But Cordia, you have this dynamic that I think is in all of us, but not everybody's leaning on it. And that is that you are magnetic. Mm, that's you, so nice. You connect with people and you see people for who they are and you build relationships and that results in that chemistry. Yeah. And I, I think that Oftentimes when, as, as a leader myself, business owners I talk to, we look at an opportunity, we go, oh, I'm not qualified to do that. I'm going to have to find somebody. I don't you know, that doubt kicks in. And there's this moment where you have to decide, am I going to be overwhelmed by this and back out? Or am, am I going to tap into being magnetic? Yeah. Am I going to attract who I need? That's what a magnet does, right? It attracts mm, things to nice it. Nice way it hurts. How do, how do you tie into that? How do you, how do you tap into that and stay plugged into that? Um, because I think it is a choice, right? I think change is hard for everybody. And change, when you bring in somebody that's really good and really knows their space, they're not going to do it the same way you do it. Mm. 
And I think that we have to be open to bringing in the talent that has the same core values that we do, same integrity, same kind of base. And then we have to be comfortable enough in our own skin to let them do it their way. And that was hard for me. Believe me, I went to plenty of counseling sessions <laughs> on how to how to how to let go how a to not bit. help yeah. so much when I thought I was being so helpful. <laughs> but uh, it, Joe turned out to be you mm. know just the most dynamic leader, and now Greg and the team that he's brought in from Arbor, where we have since COVID purchased two bakery companies, one in South Dakota, a large one in Atlanta. We're building a new facility over near where the O'Charlie's line is to make croissants. Yum. Amazing. And we've got another deal in the works that I can't announce yet. But our revenue by the end of 2021 with the things, the new customers that the new team has started and the new initiatives is a 300% increase. Hello. That's crazy. So, that's so inspiring. <laughs> I could have never done that by myself. These guys are amazing. Well, it, obviously they're amazing. You guys wouldn't be doing that without them. But the other thing that's amazing, and, and I don't want business owners to forget, is the marketplace is crazy. But here's a story of somebody who's winning in spite of the obstacles out there right now because of belief, because of discipline, because of passion, because of not going to quit, because mm -hmm. of fortitude. And these are choices we make as leaders to continue to lead forward, even when all these obstacles are out there in the marketplace against us. Right. And I want you to know, our sales are down. We're not, I'm not here going, yay, yay, our sales are great. They're not, because a lot of the customers who we serve are closed. Mm. They're closed. Their restaurants are closed. You can't go in their lobbies. So we are looking past this, and we are trying to prepare ourselves for when people can get back to the new normal, whatever that is, whenever that is. And there's plenty of opportunities out there for all of us as business owners, but we have to think differently. We are making decisions today that we may have never thought to do six months mm -hmm. ago. I want to come back to something you said when you brought on Joe and we're struggling to let go of some things with the strategy or, or how the processes that you did, they're, they're going to be different under his leadership, but you didn't let go of the core values. Okay. I'm going to go back and say what our values are again. Create opportunities, make a difference, and impact lives. If you want to see me riled up, you violate one of those core principles. That's the thing that gets me mad. You can make a mistake. You can lose a million dollars. I won't get mad over that, but don't devalue what we've tried to build. And and the reason we've been able to create an atmosphere where people want to come to work, just like Dave Ramsey's organization, is because we're doing something that's bigger than ourselves. We're really trying to create an opportunity where you can win. You can come here and you can have an opportunity to make decisions, make mistakes, make a difference. And we all want to make a difference. That's the way God made us. We want to make a difference. And to be micromanaged or told specifically what you have to do is very demotivating. So we've tried to create an atmosphere in the plants all the way down to the plant floor. When I built my first bakery, if you wanted a day off, it was either assigned to you or you had to block it out a year in advance. That's the way the <laughs> attitude was. 
And I was like, couldn't believe it. So, I hope there's a few millennials here in this. And I, there's a lot of millennials I like, but there's a few that need to hear that. <laughs> it was unbelievable. So when I opened the bakery, they did a full three-page article in a magazine because we offered PTO. Hello. That wasn't very innovative, okay? okay? But all we said is I told our employees, I don't want to know. You don't have to call me and say my child's head got stuck in the toilet. I said, I'd rather you call me and go, I'm going to go buy a prom dress for my daughter, I want to be with her. And I'd be so happy for you to take off and do that. So give people a choice to be successful and have them be there because they want to be there Mm -hmm. making a difference. When you were talking about the idea of somebody threatening one of those core values, you your countenance, your your whole body language got a little bit amped. I, I can tell they're actually core values, and the, and they are something you care deeply about. Core values get thrown around as a sometimes a exercise you do with a team or a box to check, or you need to have core values on the wall. So take a half day, knock them out, and then and move on. You and I know that there's so much more significant than that. I'm curious. How did you develop those values? Was it over time? Was it personal? Did you involve the team? What was the process? Oh, totally. And it was definitely over time and a lot of sessions. But I think when it really hit home to me is my happy place is when I'm helping somebody be the best that God wanted them to be. And if you think about the words I told you, creating opportunities, that might be given in a new job to somebody, or it might be taking them from a bad fit to a better fit, Mm -hmm. or it might be helping them go to law school because you see the mind. We've had a number of people that I've exited to a place where I thought that Nate Likens was running our cold storage facility, and we did a book club once a month. And to hear him analyze the book and how he thought through it, I said, Mm. have you ever thought about going to law school? Well, not really. I said, I think you'd make a great lawyer. Well, he is now through Belmont Law School. He graduated in class number one. I helped him a little bit, but he did the hard work. And then now he's a Waller lawyer. And so Creating opportunities might be a new product for a customer, but it might be exiting our business. Mm -hmm. But it's part of what we do, and Mm. it's part of what they can count on from us as leaders. It's beautiful. So, you know, your story is inspiring. Anybody listening to this that isn't fired up to to just, you know, I, I think of so many things, like what's possible in this great country that we live in, what's possible for a female executive. But you took something and little old Russellville, Arkansas, and now you've got this, you know, you could call it a dynasty. You wouldn't call it that. No, never. <laughs> but I mean, you look at the story, Cordia, and you go, I could do a lot. Even if I don't have a lot, I can, I can accomplish a lot. And I, I think you are a, a great example of when you bring your heart and you bring passion and you care deeply about people, all the business end of the business, you can figure that piece out. And so now that you're standing maybe you would call it the mountaintop or, or you've achieved more goals than you ever imagined and you're kind of looking back. What are the seasons that you go, I wasn't feeling like it would work in that. What, what was the hardest season through the journey? Oh, gosh. I think the hardest season was definitely the early years of the bakery because I had already had a taste of being debt-free and I rolled it all to build the bakery. Mm-hmm. And, and watching 
there wasn't a thing I could do. I couldn't build a bus station on the corner of the bakery and drive sales like I did at the yeah. restaurant. There wasn't anything I could do to help bring McDonald's sales back to where they were. They were working on that. They were doing a great job with it. But that was hard because when I built the bakery, I thought, I am going to be a McDonald's supplier, and that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to supply McDonald's. I'm going to grow with them, and I'll do whatever they want me to do, and I'll be great, and I'll give it all. I had to transfer my thinking to realize I'm a baker, and I have to make this bakery work, Mm. and I'm going to be a great supplier to McDonald's, which is just five degrees over. But it was the transformation that I needed in order to realize I had to take care of my people and my family and my business, and I had to be extremely respectful to my customer, but I I had to do what I had to do to make the business work. And that was how I justified bringing on Pepperidge Farm. But that was not overnight. You know, that was a uh, probably, if I really look at the calendar, maybe 16 months of really hard losing money Mm -hmm. and not knowing where it's going to come from. And it's scared. You talk about that five-degree difference. What I hear, two of the questions I, I heard you wrestling with are, who am I really and why am I here? Mm-hmm. And, and coming back to that sense of purpose and Entree Leadership Cordia, we teach that purpose is actually one of the six core drivers of a peak performing business. If, if you don't have that sense of it's, it's bigger than us, there's a purpose, there's a reason we exist, you're not going to make it. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear from you, especially in a company that, you know, the, the typical consumer might say, that's a pretty basic <laughs> boring it's, it's literally white bread <laughs> uh, it, the recipe set we run uh, it through the manufacturing yeah. and it just comes out the other end uh, yet you guys still have this magnificent sense of purpose it doesn't have to be a company that's all like Dave Ramsey changing lives changing marriages and we get that a lot people look at us and they think well that's easy for you guys to have a, a big higher calling kind of purpose uh, but you've got it with a, a bakery you've got it with a bread company yeah you know We do have a purpose, and I think it's just as big as Dave Ramsey's because we are supplying nutritional bread, buns, muffins to— Croissants coming up. Croissants to feed families, and while they're eating together, they're making memories. Mm. And so there have been times over the years where I've— said, take your fam- here's some gift certificates, take your family stow Charlie's, and just enjoy that bread. You were a part of making that bread. Take your family to McDonald's. Have some time with your family because what we are doing, I mean, the quality that we go through, the steps that we take to clean, all of us are important to that process and delivering the highest quality and the mm-hmm. best product. And we are a part of so many, you know, our goal is to be on every corner in America in some form or fashion, whether it's a C-store, a grocery store, a restaurant. Mm. But I'm confident that the products that come out of our plants are made with the best ingredients, with the best equipment, with the best people. Mm. And so we want them to experience what they're giving to other families by doing their job well. It's amazing. You know, I, what you've done there, I think it's so brilliant. And when, when I'm coaching business owners who are trying to figure out how to get the the purpose thing, um, the connection, I guess, to mm-hmm. how does our thing actually drive impact. value and impact people, 
making memories with your family is something that is eternal and sacred. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what we all want. That's why we work. That's that's exactly. That's why we're here. Mm-hmm. And so I I think the brilliance in you bringing your team along for this journey to say, okay, let's look at where the bun goes when it leaves our bakery. And then where does it go? And then look at, it's on that table. Look at what's happening on that Mm -hmm. table. And I think it takes vision and leadership sometimes to get our teams to see, no, your your job is not to push buttons on the machine in the factory. You're a part of something that if you weren't doing it, this family isn't connecting around this this memory out here. And that's sacred. Exactly. So- how does that show up in the the communication with the team and keeping that top of mind for them? How do you how do you keep purpose alive and and the vision for this is why we really exist across? I mean, you've got hundreds of employees and everybody's in all different directions, different job descriptions, but that common purpose is still there. Yeah, I think I think that's probably what I spend the most time on right now. And I know today alone, I was visiting with some senior leaders about they tend to be a little bit more tactical than I. I'm like. Okay, you can set this goal, and we can get there financially, but how are we going to do it with people? How are we going to communicate with them? How are we going to make sure they understand what their part is doing to the bigger goal? And I find myself having those kind of conversations a lot more often today than I did because we are growing very fast. Mm -hmm. And I believe that we do have a really important role, and we've just got to keep bringing it up. I do the normal thing, the newsletters. I still send birthday cards to every employee. I try to bring in our customers into the plants, Mm -hmm. those that work in the restaurants, to see all the care that's gone on to giving them the quality that we give them. But, you know, there's a lot to do every day, Mm -hmm. and we as business owners have to take the time to still create the big vision about why we're all doing this job together. And uh, I think it's our probably our biggest challenge as a growing business to keep that alive. You've got a great team. You've delegated so many things. You can probably step away from time to time and the thing kind of runs itself because of what you've built in the culture and the values. What is it though today that only Cordia can do? Gosh, um, I think we're all replaceable. The thing I enjoy doing is complimenting the successes of the team and um, finding something that they're doing well and letting them know we see that they're doing it. Mm. We have a daily COVID call right now, so I tend to all of those. And just watching the magic that's happened over the last couple of months going from, you know, we don't have enough people to open the plant to now we've got, you know, it's just mm-hmm. been, I, I'm so proud of the way they've handled this, uh, the changes that we've had to make. I think that going about communicating is something I'm struggling with every day. I mean, I've tried using social, I've tried doing videos and sending them mm-hmm. to the plants and congratulating them, but we have two plants I haven't been able to even go in yet because the towns are in lockdown. Shut and down. Yeah. So it's a struggle, and I could use some pointers. I probably need to take your class. Well, you know, I, th- I think you're doing an amazing job. And I, the thing I hear that you're doing, and, and I think this is a unique thing for founders. I agree, we're all replaceable. I mean, if if God has, you know, a a different thing for us and he's going to find someone else if he still wants the work done. It is unique though, isn't it? That founders, when you're cheering for the team as a founder, I've often thought that a founder can cheer at a level 10 and the team experiences it 
at a 100. Oh, yeah. And, and someone that's not the founder can cheer at a level 100, and the, the team might experience it as a level 10. I mean, there, there's something about knowing the person who got this off the ground at, at our company, Dave Ramsey, the guy who was at the card table. Right. On the backside of bankruptcy mm-hmm. and fought for this thing. When he stops by someone's desk and goes, hey, I heard you did a good job on that. I don't even know exactly what you're doing, but your leader's been bragging on you. I see you. Well done. I'm proud of you. Thanks for being a part of this. Mm-hmm. Only Dave Ramsey can really do that in that way and it carry that type of weight. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's important for business owners and leaders as as you're thinking about scaling, delegating, building up your team, don't delegate the cheerleading. You know what? It's the best job on the planet. It's so positive and you feel so good afterward. You see the sparkle in their eye and I feel like the luckiest girl on earth. Well, you seem to be enjoying it and um, your story is inspiring. Uh, again, you're, who you are is magnetic and uh, extremely attractive and, and, and a beautiful soul. And, and we're just so grateful that you're right here in our backyard. Um, I've I've run into so many people that have been impacted by or are part of your organization, and, and they're just delighted. Thank and, you. Um, that's your reputation in this town is Thank um, you. somebody who's a, a beacon of hope, of life. And, um, you know, I, I think about where you guys are going and all the challenges that we all have these days. Uh, as we close up today, if you could just say one thing to, you know, there's a business owner right now. They're driving into work, and they're in those early days where it's really hard and they're not sure that they're going to make it. They're on the fence. It's been a hard year. What would you say in, in your closing thoughts to just encourage their hearts and their minds as we go forward? Oh, gosh. Um, I want to say that I, I feel your pain. I have been there. It is hard. But God put the idea for this business in your soul, and you have to finish what you started and think creatively. Maybe you don't do it in the exact way you set out to do it, but there's a way for you to be successful and just go for it. You wouldn't be where you are today if you hadn't felt the little nudge that we all got before we started our business. So I pray for your success. I know you'll look back on these hard times and have a great story to tell of how you overcame it, and you'll be inspiring and motivating somebody else just a few months from now. So good luck with it. I know you can do it. Wow. Words to live by. She is Cordia Harrington, the bun lady. Thank you, Cordia, for your leadership and for your advice. Thanks, Daniel. I loved my time with Cordia. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. For me, it's always really fun to talk to a founder who can take you all the way back to the early days, the humble beginnings, and say, I started with nothing, but I had this idea. I had a belief. I had a passion, and I followed it. And, you know, what I see in Cordia is she took care of people. She loves people. You know, so you could say she doesn't have the formal education. She didn't have the resources early on, but what she had was this ability to connect with people. And you know what? You have that too. That's a God-given talent that's inside all of us. Lean into that and connect with people as you're growing your things. So, you know, it's cool to say, all right, she took it from nothing and now it's a big deal. And, you know, we, we all have our own journey that we're on as we're building and growing our thing. A lot of great notes to take out of that conversation. One of the things that I want to highlight is Cordia talked about several seasons that felt like a crisis. Have you ever felt like your business is in crisis? I know I have. In fact, it'd be weird if you haven't. I mean, it's just a part of being a business. You're going to have a crisis. A key person leaves, marketplace gets disrupted, something goes sideways with the vendor. 
Guys, when you have a crisis in your business, you can't just do business as usual. When things are peaceful and everything's running smoothly, that's one type of leadership. But leadership has to show up differently when the crap hits the fan, okay? So you can't do business as usual, but, but what do you do, okay? So our team knows about this. Our coaching team works with businesses all the time and helps them navigate crisis. And so the coaching team, along with our Entree Leadership content team, they sat down and they built you a free resource that you're gonna love this. It's a 90-day action plan on how to lead in a crisis. It's a free training you can get through the crisis. You can get through almost anything if you've got some grit and passion and a good plan. So the team's gonna help you build that plan. To sign up to watch this free training, text TAKE ACTION to 33444. That's TAKE ACTION, no spaces, to 33444. Or you can click on the link in the show notes and download it right now. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Entree Leadership Podcast. If you did, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. For a chance to win a $25 Amazon gift card, you can actually review this episode by clicking the link in the show notes. Hey, be sure to follow us on social media. We have a lot of fun over there, at Entree Leadership. And you can also follow me on Instagram, at Daniel Tardy. Would love to hang out with you and join the conversation. This episode was produced by Tim Hull. It was edited and mixed by Will Rudder. Again, I'm your host, Daniel Tardy. And on behalf of the entire Entree Leadership team, thanks for listening. Until next time, keep learning and keep leading. enjoy this podcast you should check out other great podcasts from the ramsey network like the ramsey show we want you to take control of your life and money once and for all i'm dave ramsey and along with my co-hosts on the ramsey show we'll give you straight talk on everything from budgets to career to relationships join us as callers from all walks of life learn how to get out of debt and start building for the future and how you can too Listen to The Ramsey Show wherever you listen to podcasts.